Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 145. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Fire Nation, what's that next great idea you have? It's time to take powerful action. And step one is setting up your website. I've created a seven-minute tutorial that walks you through acquiring your domain for free all the way to your first post. Go to eofirewebsite.com to access this great tutorial, your free domain, and much more. That's eofirewebsite.com. And now let's give it up for our sponsor, Jason Yana. Fire Nation, do you have a great product idea but don't know how to share your vision with the world? Jason Yana Studios, a visual marketing firm with expertise in 3D modeling and photorealistic rendering, is going to donate their high-end services to a lucky EO Fire listener. Enter to win your free set of photorealistic renderings of your product today at IgniteMyProducts.com. That's IgniteMyProducts.com. Okay, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Eric Reese. Eric, are you prepared to ignite? Yes, sir. All right. Eric is an entrepreneur and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Lean Startup, How Today's Entrepreneurs Use Continuous Innovation to Create Radically Successful Businesses. He serves on the advisory board of a number of technology startups and has consulted new and established companies as well as venture capital firms. Given Fire Nation a little overview, Eric, but why don't you take a minute, tell us about you personally, we want to get to know you, and then tell us about what you have going on right now. Sure. My journey is a little bit unusual because I never thought I would be doing this for a living. Uh, you got to think of me as that kid in their parents' basement, you know, programming computers in a, to an unhealthy degree when yeah. I was a kid. Uh, that was me. I uh, First time my parents brought a computer home was I was old. IBM XT, you know, beige boxes. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, I remember that computer very fondly because, you know, I learned how to program it. And, and all I wanted to do was uh, make my own computer games and you know, eventually discovered BBSs and the Internet. That, that was my world. And um, I thought I'd be programming computers my whole life because that's something I really enjoy doing. And you, you can imagine how excited I was when I found out you can get paid to do that. Yeah. It was like, you know, best day of my life. So I was, I was a very happy camper. But I kept having this phenomenon as my as programming went from being a hobby to being a profession, and then eventually I started to do it in an entrepreneurial context. I kept having this very frustrating experience where the amazing technology that I would build wouldn't be used by anybody, and that really pissed me off because I mean I liked building programs, but you know ultimately I wanted people to use them, uh, and that was true back when I was programming like you know video games on my TI-82 graphing calculator. Like I wanted to share them with the other kids and have them actually play the game. Uh, and some of the games, you know, that were painstakingly difficult to program were not fun. And, you know, I, I think back on that now because at the time I was just like, well, I'll just make a better game next time, you know, more complicated, more graphics, more this, more that. I thought everything was a technology problem. But uh, eventually I realized that, you know, if the game's not fun, if the product's not what people want, that's not a technology problem. That's a business problem. That's a customer problem. 
that requires a kind of different set of skills and a different set of um, uh, methodologies that I had been trained in as an engineer. And that's kind of what got me on this path here was trying to find out, okay, well, how, you know, how do you solve those problems? And then I found out that people actually didn't necessarily know the answer to that question. And so then it was like, all right, well, let's, let's try and find a way. Wow. Well, I definitely look forward to delving more into that later on in the interview, Eric. But before we do, we always start off the interview in Entrepreneur on Fire with a success quote. It's kind of our way of getting the motivational ball rolling and getting Fire Nation just excited for the content that you are going to share with us. So what do you have for us today, Eric? All right. Here it is. Six words. Think big, start small, scale fast. Those are six great words for every entrepreneur. Tell us how you've actually applied those six words, that mentality to your life at some point. Well, now I try to do everything by that mantra. Um, you know, everything big started out as something small. Yeah. And the most ambitious entrepreneurs, the biggest visionaries, the guys who've had the biggest impact that I've met, if you can get them to tell you the story of how they began, it's almost embarrassing how small it is. And so there's a reason... True. Why those stories are not always the best known is because they're so embarrassing that people cover them up. Like I, I've pitched a lot of publicists, and I've, I've been in, been around like the PR folks, you know, with startups, and they want a like nice clean story about how like you had the idea in your bathroom one day, and you're like, oh, I know, send a man to the moon, and then boom, next thing you know, you were sending a man to the moon. And if you try to make the story complicated by like, well, actually, we thought we were going to do this like digital cyber cash for Palm Pilots. And then we discovered that we could send money via email. And then we realized that, ooh, we could be the, you know, the world payment provider for eBay so people could like buy Beanie Babies online. It's actually kind of a complicated and weird story. It's like, well, if you were going to be in the Beanie Baby selling business, why don't you just start there? Why would you start with this Palm Pilot thing? And you know, if you're such a genius, how come you got so many things wrong along the way? So we tend to like cover those stories up, but actually all the great, all the great new things started off as something small, but they weren't just any random small thing. It's not like every small thing becomes big. There's something about a startup that is engineered for hyper growth that is super exciting because you can, you can begin with just a little seed, you know, it's like a little virus in an epidemic or just that little first thing that eventually becomes something massive. That's such a great insight, Eric, and that is what I attribute most to Entrepreneur on Fire success. It's because I take incredibly successful entrepreneurs such as yourself, such as Tim Ferriss, Barbara Corkin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, and I bring them on the show and we talk about their journey, not just where they are right now and their success, but how they got there. And This is a perfect segue into our next topic, which is failure, which are obstacles <laughs> and challenges that as entrepreneurs we all face, as you so eloquently put. So, Eric, take us back to a time in your journey when you failed or when you came up against an obstacle that you really had to dig deep to overcome and then share with us how you did overcome that. Yeah, listen, your, your listeners should know I'm a terrible failure. Yeah. And like, it's funny, you, you put me in this list of great entrepreneurs. I don't really think of myself that way. I, you know, I haven't, my entrepreneurial success is, I'm very proud of it. It's, it's great. But like, I have way more failures than successes under my belt. And, uh, you know, uh, gosh, I'll, I'll give you one story. This is really embarrassing. Um, the more embarrassing, the better. Yeah, the more embarrassing, Let's the better. I know. Uh, I, hate that. I hate this story. Um, <laughs> no, it was a very important experience for me. So everyone's seen the movie The Social Network. Yes. And 
you know in the movie, like the first hour of the movie is pretty pretty exciting. Like it's mostly those flashbacks to the guys in the dorm at the Ivy League school. Like remember when they're writing on the whiteboards and the windows with those cool markers and there's like scheming up the future and they get started and like hire all their friends and they have the parties and like late night coding and just like the vibe of that is so exciting. There's right? so much passion. So much passion, so much you're just like, yeah. They like defy the universe to, you know, show them that they're wrong and Think about all the characters in that movie and every other entrepreneurial movie. There's like the guy who's like, listen, kid, you can't do that. It's not going to work. You <laughs> should like, you know, go be a venture capital, no, no, go work at Goldman Sachs or like be a consultant or whatever. And then like what the most satisfying part of those movies is like after they're successful, you go back and like rub it in their face. Like, ha ha, <laughs> you were wrong. I was right. I'm a genius. Okay. So in, in 1999, the height of the dot-com bubble, I was at Yale University, and I had the idea to do a startup. And I lived that first hour of that movie. I kid you not. We had the idea that college students from top universities should create online profiles for the purpose of sharing. Okay, that's a pretty good idea, right? (laughs) It worked out for some people. Yeah, some people made a lot of money (laughs) with that idea. But unfortunately, we thought that they should make the profiles for the purpose of getting a job. So we, we call them online resumes. And it was all about getting a job, like having a resume database and selling to companies. Anyway, if you had told us back then to pivot, that's one of our lean startup catchphrases now, pivot into doing a true Facebook-style social network, we would have told you how stupid you were. Right. We'd have been of like, course. listen, now that's not a real business. Real business is one that makes money by selling something to companies. And we had this whole like nonsense belief about what we were doing. We had no clue how to run a company. And unfortunately, our entrepreneurial instincts were not even half as good as Mark Zuckerberg's. And, you know, you can actually like, there's still quotes. I see this from time to time. Like you can go look them up of like the stupid things I was saying at that time. You know, people would interview me in the press and I'd be like, we're not trying to be some dumb company like Yahoo. We want to be, you know, something much greater. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah. Actually, Yahoo would have been a fine outcome, kid. Dumb, dumb kid. So the worst part of the story is dot-com bubble crashes. We, of course, raised all this money, expected to be able to raise as much money as we needed whenever we wanted. Couldn't raise any more money. Co-founders and I practically killed each other. And I had to go back to all those people who said, you shouldn't drop out of school to do a startup. You should you know, have a regular job. And, you and I had to go back to them and be like, yeah, you were right. Ouch. I was wrong. The startup was a failure. Uh, worse than I could possibly have imagined. And that sucks, man. That is just a horrid, horrid feeling. That's a failure. And you are being so generous with sharing that part of your journey, Eric. Thank you. Because it just demystifies so many things that were going on at that time. Because all you do hear nowadays are these successes from back then. You don't hear the vast, vast majority of failure. So thank you for sharing that. And let's just use that to transition now to the other end of the spectrum, which is that aha moment, which is when a light bulb goes on. And as entrepreneurs, we have small aha moments every day, week, month, but every now and then we do have a special light bulb that just goes off and we know it's going to resonate well with our target audience, with what we're trying to do in life. Eric, have you had an aha moment on that level? And if so, how did you turn that aha moment into success? It's related to that first story in a kind of a funny way. Great. Here's why. Um, 
I'll tell the story very briefly, but, but I had that, that terrible college startup and it, you know, that bombed. And I thought I was a useless failure. I, I was full of self-loathing and just thought it was a terrible thing. But I, you know, it was on my resume. And somebody who I'm very grateful to, I'm, I'm a very lucky person. I've had amazing mentors. And one of them is a guy named Will Harvey, who uh, was the founder of a Silicon Valley company. He's, he's quite the Silicon Valley legend. And he saw my resume when I was applying for jobs after I graduated from college. I went back to school, finished my degree, and started to apply for jobs. And he had the, you know, he was the one who was like, this kid's something special. Because sure, he failed, but at least he tried to do something awesome. And uh, so he, he was the one who really got me to come out to Silicon Valley, join a traditional VC-backed startup with him. The irony of the story is that that startup was an even bigger failure. Uh, because it was, you know, the same dumb mistakes, but now with venture capital added. So, you know, blowing through tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. And anyway, to make a long story short, he and I eventually wound up becoming co-founders of a company that was successful together. And and I don't deserve the credit for that. He deserves the credit because he saw me as a, as a high potential young person, brought me out to Silicon Valley and thought of me years later to be this co-founder with him and trusted me to run the technology team of this new company, even though he's much older than I am, I'm much younger. I had no proven track record of success, nothing. But he, he saw the potential. And uh, I'll tell you about an aha moment that was important in two ways. The first is it helped us make this company a success, but it actually wound up being a much bigger aha than that for me personally, uh, as you'll see in a second. So we built this company, it was called InView. It's a 3D avatar social networking company. Very difficult technology, you know, 3D rendering, and uh, we, you know, you have to make lifelike avatars that make people feel like they're really present in the on the screen. And, right. You know, this is a complicated product, and I'm the CTO of this company. And we had this genius idea that we would build a product that would spread through the hot social technology of its time, instant messaging. So remember when instant messaging was cool? Oh, ICQ, I loved it. Yeah, right. Those are the days, right? So we thought, all right, we will integrate this product into products like AOL Instant Messenger, ICQ, MSN Messenger, Yahoo Messenger. And then when you invite someone to chat with you, you have to invite them to our program. So we actually, I I personally, with my bare hands, I wrote the technology that would interoperate with those other protocols. And when you would want to chat with someone in 3D using our avatars, we would actually send a URL through the instant messaging client to the other person to download our software. Isn't that genius? Wow. Right? So can you see how it's like inherently viral? It's kind of like an Instagram in a way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It has the exact same viral potential of an Instagram. Right. And you probably are thinking that that's the aha moment, but it's not. <laughs> because um, there's one small problem with this plan, and that is that customers hated it. <laughs> so it didn't work at all. Nothing I just said actually is true in the real world. Customers would be like, no way am I going to invite my friend through instant messaging to use this thing that I don't even know if it's cool yet. Because the only way to find out if it was cool was to use it with one of your friends. Got it. But if you can't find out if it's cool without using it with one of your friends, then you got to think about like a 17-year-old who's like, hmm, if this thing turns out to be lame and I invited one of my friends to something that's lame, then I'm lame. And I'm going to be in the cafeteria tomorrow and tomorrow, everybody's going right. to know how lame I am. Exactly right. And sure, it might be cool, but might be cool means might be not cool. And I do not do, as a teenager, anything 
that is not certified cool. So true. This is not a problem that Instagram has, but was a problem for us. And to make a long story short, we eventually realized that like our whole strategy for how to make this thing grow was wrong. We thought this product would be used with your existing friends. We actually thought it was going to be like for adults, you know, stay-at-home moms and social game type audience. But no, teenagers loved it. They just didn't want to do this viral growth thing. And so we had to do, you know, what we call a pivot to a different in-semester clan. And that was a huge aha for the company because if we had not made that pivot, we would have died. And once we realized that this is a technology not for hanging out with your existing friends, but for helping you make new friends, we said, oh, that's a whole different business to be in and still a very cool business. And maybe even a bigger business because people have a lot more non-friends than they do have friends. And they do friends. There you go. And there's a lot, let's be honest, there are a lot of lonely people in this world. A lot of lonely people. And are increasingly, so, so you can see how that's all pretty cool. And if we hadn't made that, if we hadn't had that insight, company would have failed for sure. And instead today, InView is a you know, pretty profitable company down at Mountain View. Very proud of it. But there's a much bigger aha in the story that had a much bigger impact on my life. I mean, InView success, you know, made me very wealthy and, and, you know, helped me make my reputation. So I'm not trying to diminish that. That's important. But for me personally, the much bigger insight came when I looked back on what happened after we did the pivot. Because here's the thing. I had personally written that software to do that interoperability for like 10 different clients, ICQ, Yahoo, MSN, you know, AIM. I don't even remember them all. There were so many. And then my software, the software that I personally wrote with my bare hands, got thrown away when we did the pivot because the strategy that underlied that whole thing was wrong. So it's not like the code wasn't good. It wasn't beautifully written. You know, it, was, it wasn't badly written. The architecture wasn't, but nothing was wrong with it except it was solving a problem that didn't exist. Does that make sense? Total sense. So it all had to be thrown away just as if it had been incompetently written. Same, same result, namely, it's all a waste of time. And that really bothered me because I said, wait a minute. If my goal was to write the software in the most efficient way possible, you know, I was very agile, all into lean production techniques that are all about eliminating waste, being efficient. How is it efficient to write software that gets thrown away? That's like driving a car off a cliff, but being like, yeah, my engine is super efficient. (laughs) Great gas mileage. Right. I get amazing gas mileage. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense at all. And that question drove me crazy for a long time because I was trying to figure out, okay, what method do you use to figure out if you're making progress, if the thing you're building might be the wrong thing in the first place? And that's the question that ultimately led me to writing the Lean Startup and you know, doing what I do now. And it's had a huge impact on my life and the world. But I wouldn't have, in a, in a lot of ways, if I had better product instincts, I would never have had to ask that question. If any of the products I ever built were successful right out of the gate, I, I'd be just another dumb, rich guy being like, well, just do what I did and you'll get rich. <laughs> <laughs> like this, I see that advice all the time. And like, luckily for me, because all my products were so bad, I kept making so many mistakes. I really was forced to really confront this question of, well, how do you know if you're making progress and what should you do to maximize your chance of success? And if I hadn't asked that question, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Well, Eric, those are just great insights. And I do love that aha moment in both of those for so many reasons. There's just one more 
little aha moment that I want to pull out from your book, which I'm a huge fan of. And I just found this very interesting while reading your book. It's a very small portion of everything we just talked about, which was the aerial view. But to really drill down, you talked about one point specifically where you were having issues with uh, programming and actually having like the avatar walk over to the other avatar. And so you're like, you know what, just for right now, we're just going to do it as as well as we can. And we're just going to have them transport over there quickly. But we'll just let people know that we're going to in the future make it so it's very amiable walk, kind of a strut over to the next person. And then you just got that feedback from the customers like, wait a second, we like this teleport thing. Like it's faster, it's cooler. I don't care if Uh he walks over there. Talk about that for just 30 seconds because I found that fascinating. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's ever played a modern video game like The Sims or you know World of Warcraft, really, I mean, all, all 3D games now are the technology is incredible. There's this technology called inverse kinematics, which doesn't even matter what it is, but it's just it's a specific technique for making sure that when your avatar is moving around, it looks real. Yeah. So like we take it for granted, but actually like if you watch closely in The Sims, when the character lifts up their foot and then puts it down when they take a step, their foot smoothly walks along the floor, even as the different floors at a different angle, their stairs, the avatar actually walks up the stairs. Uh, if you've never been in the business, it's actually an incredible uh, piece of technology to get that to look right. It's not easy at all. And of course, when we were starting this company, we did not have that technology. And so, as you said, we took the what we thought was the like lamest, cheapest, crappiest hack ever. And we had the avatar just teleport. And I don't want you, when you, your viewers think of teleport, they're like, oh, it's probably with like fancy sound effects and a poof of smoke. Oh, no. I mean, literally in one frame, you are over at the table drinking your cappuccino. And then in the next frame, like your arm is like mid-movement. All of a sudden, you're like across the room, like dancing in the disco. It's, it's like from a, as a professional 3D rendering artist, it's horrible. Looking. It made you cringe. It just makes you cringe. You want to vomit all over it. <laughs> but customers liked it better. They used to say InView is more advanced than The Sims because in, in The Sims you have to walk, but in InView you teleport. Wow. And it was such a great lesson that if you don't understand your customer, you cannot use the word quality correctly because which version of the product is higher quality? The one with the crappy, horrible hack or the one that customers think is inferior? You have to choose. And I think that the word quality should always be defined from the point of view of the customer. And therefore, one of our rules in Lean Startup is if you don't know who the customer is, you don't know what quality means. And that, Fire Nation, is just one of the incredible amount of insights that you're going to get when you read the book, Lean Startup. So, Eric, let's talk about what you have going on right now. Give us a little breakdown about the Lean Startup methodology and everything that you have going on. Get Fire Nation, this massive, passionate, entrepreneurial audience, excited about Eric Reese and everything that you have going on. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, well, so... I did write this book, and I, I knew that something cool was going on. I was blogging about this idea, and people were taking it seriously in a way that I never expected. But I didn't have any idea of what was going to happen when this book came out. So, you know, I, I appreciate that I get to be the one doing the interview, and people write about me personally as if I'm, I'm something special. But the real story of Lean Startup is that it has grown far beyond me into a total movement. There are thousands of people around the world right now as we speak who are in their local communities, in their local startup hubs, forming 
lean startup meetup groups. Yeah. So there are probably two or three hundred groups now around the world where people get together to really advance the state of the art in entrepreneurship. And and so I think of myself not as the person who makes this happen, but really as uh, more of a spokesperson or a custodian of this overall movement. And that's really what I spend my time on now is trying to figure out you know what what's the role for me to be helpful in that. Uh, last December, we put on uh, the Lean Startup Conference. That was the third year we've done that. We actually brought people from all over the world to come present their stories of using these ideas and taking them to new places. And what's cool to me is that I work in software. I work in consumer internet software specifically. But these ideas are now being applied in a wide variety of places. I mean, at the conference, we had a guy who's using these ideas to develop a new kind of car, like an actual physical car. We had guys who um, turn coffee grounds into mushrooms. We had back um, to the roots. Back to the roots, exactly. I right. had them on my show. I love those guys. They oh, kill. those guys are awesome. Yeah. So oh, they sent me one of those, and I have it right on my shelf right here. <laughs> yeah, those those guys are. That's a great talk about start small but think big. Those guys are a great example of that. I loved it. Um, we had some heavy hitters like Mark Andreessen and Beth Comstock from GE talking yeah. about like you know in a bigger context, and we had the chief technology officer of the United States, Todd Park, talking about how they're using these ideas in the federal government. So it's pretty wacky. Well, Eric, we're going to touch upon this again after this next segment, but just while it's hot right now, where can people go to find out a little bit more about this? Well, sure. The best place is my website, theleanstartup.com. This is the exact same title as the book. You can kind of get links from there to all these other resources we're talking about. And there's, uh, there's actually a global mailing list called the Lean Startup Circle where people you know, ask each other advice and share case studies. That's a pretty Whoa. great resource. And then there's like a bunch of other books coming out this year. Uh, on the subject. Anyway, you can learn all about that on my website. Wonderful. Well, we're going to touch upon this again. I just wanted to get that out there right now. And we're going to delve into the last segment, which is the lightning round. And Eric, this is where I get to ask you a series of questions and you come back at us, Fire Nation, with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Does that sound like a plan? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? Fear. Straight up fear. Scary. It's embarrassing. It requires... uh, it just requires being wrong all the time and having people yell at you. It's it's, it's scary. Uh, and way easier to just be an employee somewhere and do what you're told. What is the best business advice you ever received? So there's a guy named Steve Blank who's a mentor of mine. Uh, he wrote a book called The Four Steps to the Epiphany, which when I was just when I was first becoming an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, was like a cult underground thing that like only a few people knew about. Uh, and I was lucky to have him as an investor in my last company. And he has a phrase that whenever I'm not sure what to do, this is always what I go back to. It's called get out of the building. And what it means is if you're ever not sure, go and see for yourself. Like don't sit around your office, like think about things. Go talk to your actual customers and try to understand what they're all about. Don't go to a conference. Don't like go listen to some podcasts with all due respect. Go talk. <laughs> to your actual customers and figure out what the F is going on. So get out of the building. Wonderful, wonderful. If you could only choose two websites to obtain all the information needed to succeed, what would they be and why? The most important website on the entire internet is the Wayback Machine, which is run by the Internet Archive. And what's amazing about the Wayback Machine is that you can see what actually successful companies and products and websites look like in the past. So if I, if I really only choose one resource, this is the one I would use. You can learn an incredible amount 
by just like being like, hmm, Google today, that's pretty cool. But what did Google look like when it launched? Yeah. Right? Yahoo today, ooh, that looks pretty sophisticated. What did it look like at the beginning? YouTube, Groupon, all these sites that you think you know, go read the About Us page from version one. Things are pretty different. Do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with that you can share with Fire Nation? I do like Dropbox quite a lot. Uh, and other than that, it's, it's, I use all the pretty standard stuff like Google Apps, but I don't, I don't think I have any secret, special, anything to share. If you could recommend one book for Fire Nation, what would it be? There's a book called Founder's Dilemmas by a Harvard professor named Noam Wasserman. And uh, it's actually awesome. It's, it's academic, so it's kind of dry, but it's about all the things that can go wrong between you and your co-founders in the early days of a startup, and it's backed by actual research. So it's like, it's data-based. It's not just like, hey, here's a cool anecdote, and that's a pretty awesome book. Quick note, Fire Nation, you can get the audio version of this book for free by going to eofirebook.com, a gift from Audible for Entrepreneur on Fire listeners. That's eofirebook.com. Before we finish, I do have one last question. This is my favorite. It's kind of tricky, Eric, so take your time, digest it, and then come back at us with an answer. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have, your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days? I have a long, long list of like just little products I would love to build. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now and I actually had like what you're describing is actually kind of cool. Like I can have them all the time I want Yeah. to do whatever I want. And like seven days, these days, seven days is an eternity to build something new. Totally. So seven days is plenty of time. So like. And this is just the first seven days. Yeah, exactly. So like I would want to start running some of these experiments right away. Like I'd be totally all over it. Um, I wrote a, a, a browser plugin years ago that would help you. Um, it, it turned every ad that you would see on the internet, it would give you a thumbs up and a thumbs down button, like overlaid like TiVo. Yeah. And if you push thumbs down, it would make sure you never saw that ad ever again. Wow. You know, it was just, I just did it for fun. I had like, got like 10 or 20,000 users. I, I didn't ever pursue it. But it's a huge business to be built there in giving actual customers more control over the ads that they see because like good ads are awesome. So like I think something like that, but for the whole internet, that'd be pretty awesome. Like if you think ahead to what the future computer interfaces are going to look like, like they're obviously going to look a lot more like Siri than like Google or a command line. Right. Um, I think that's a way underdeveloped area. So like being able to, to work on like an intelligent agent that could do actually useful tasks for you, not just like Siri, like novelty tasks, um, but they could kind of sit in as your assistant, like help you schedule meetings, help you. Um, you know, remember to do things when you needed to do it and help you organize your files in life. I think there's a lot that could be done there with relatively simple technology. So I think I would get to work on one of those things right away. Well, Eric, those are some great insights into your mind. Thank you for sharing that. And you've just given us some great actionable advice this entire interview, and we are all better for it. Give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance, then tell us for the last time how we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Okay, I appreciate that. You know, I think the most powerful single piece of advice is you got to treat everything you do like an experiment. And what that means is, like, no matter how confident you are, you don't really know what's going to happen. So whether you admit it or not, everything you do as an entrepreneur is an experiment. 
And we can choose to acknowledge that and treat it like an experiment and think about, hey, how do I get the learning as quickly as possible? How do I do this experiment as efficiently as possible? Or we can like ignore it and close our eyes and pretend we know what we're doing. So if I could pick one thing for your listeners to do, it would be just to remember that you're already doing an experiment. So you may as well do it well. Powerful. And then how can we connect with you? Oh, to get in touch with me, uh, my website is theleanstartup.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as Eric Reese, E-R-I-C-R-I-E-S. And uh, welcome to get in touch with me anytime. Eric, thank you for being so generous with your time, your expertise, your experience. This will all be linked up at entrepreneuronfire.com slash Eric Reese. We salute you, Eric, and we'll catch you on the flip side. All right. Thanks so much. Fire Nation, are you ready for some more incredible audio? Audible is offering Entrepreneur on Fire listeners a free audiobook and 30-day membership. I recommend Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. This is a must-listen for every entrepreneur. This offer is for a limited time, so jump on it at eofirebook.com. That's eofirebook.com. Thank you for joining us at entrepreneuronfire.com your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.